Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Everyday Anarchism, the show that finds anarchism, non-domination, cooperation, mutual aid in your everyday life. I'm your host, Graham Colbertson. This is an interruption from the two series I've got ongoing, David Graeber's Debt and Radicalism in the English Revolution, to talk about homeschooling. I'm very excited about the guest today. It's Andrew of the Andrewism YouTube channel. Andrewism is one of the great sites of anarchist education on the internet. I highly recommend his channel. I'll have links to it. I'm also going to try to post this on YouTube just as an audio file with a still image so you can listen to it on YouTube. There's no video. I've had requests for that for years. Some people consume their podcasts on YouTube. I haven't figured out how to do it. I talked to Andrew a little bit. I'm going to try and figure out how to do it. Finally, before you get to the interview, um, Everyday Anarchism has grown enormously over the past few months, especially helped by uh, the wrong boys of Seriously Wrong and Cory Doctorow and really anything about David Graeber. People are really hungry to learn more about David Graeber. I keep saying this. I'm going to have to shift soon enough to making this an every other week show to meet the demands of parenting and being a full-time professor. Um, but I just wanted to take a moment to thank everyone, everyone who has listened, come on the show, shared, supported, everything. Of course, the show can still use your help. Ratings and reviews in Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can sign up to my newsletter when I do finally switch in 2024 to an every other week release format. I'm hoping the newsletter will come out more often. That's at everydayanarchism.com. That's also where you can give financially. That helps so much in terms of the hosting services and the technology I need. And I'm hoping someday um, to get an editor. That way I can pay someone who's actually good at editing to do the editing. And then the podcast will sound better. And that will also free me up to do more episodes and newsletters and maybe write a book. So if you do feel like giving, if uh, you give enough, that will eventually totally transform the show. But above all else... If you like the show, tell a friend. And of course, I want to hear from you at everydayanarchismpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, that's enough from me. Time for my conversation about homeschooling with Andrew. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Everyday Anarchism Podcast. This is a episode that I've I've wanted to do something on the topic of homeschooling since I first started the podcast because I'm fascinated with the way that education really seems to me to be sort of a incubator for some of the authoritarian forces in our society. I'm going to talk about this today with Andrew. He is a popular would you describe yourself as an as as an anarchist Andrew or an anarchist adjacent YouTuber? Oh, I'm I'm definitely an anarchist. <laughs> okay. Okay, you just some some people who I think are definitely anarchists don't quite take that claim uh, that name for themselves. I thought you, I thought you were flying under the flag of anarchism, but I wasn't quite sure. So Andrew of the Andrewism YouTube, a, an anarchist who was homeschooled, to talk to me about homeschooling and education. Thank you so much for joining me, Andrew. Thanks for having me, Graham. So I thought I might start by throwing this idea out that uh, I know you've written about, but just before we get to homeschooling, the idea that school and, you know, education is, it seems like beloved by everyone left and right, but school seems, strikes me as a pretty authoritarian 
place. And I wanted to see what you, what your initial thought was to, for that claim. Yeah. Yeah. I, I 100% agree. Of course, education systems vary across the world, but at least in my experience, in my observations locally and from what I've seen in people's media and people's conversations and just passively, there are some commonalities in terms of how it is structured and that structure rather consistent structure has been one of the domination of the student by the teacher. One thing that has always stuck with me, I, I was reading some magazine article. This was actually, I think maybe before I even had kids, certainly at a time that I knew I wanted to have kids, it was like, if you're talking to children, you can use analogs um, for them. Talk to them in ways that they understand. So for example, if they ask Daddy, who's the president? You can say, oh, well, the president is like the teacher at your school. It's the person who's in charge and the other people listen to. And this little uh, <laughs> magazine article wasn't trying to make this point, but I thought it made the point per perfectly, the, the, the reproduction of the authority system. Yeah, yeah. And all these various spheres of life, um, the way that in each realm you have some sort of authority figure meant to feed into and reinforce the other realms. Parents' role is to prepare the child for the authority of broader society. Teacher's role, same thing. And well, then, you know, you have the teacher as well having that responsibility of sort of developing the worker for the workplace and being prepared to take orders from a boss. Yeah, I could not be in greater agreement with that. It does seem to me that the thing that you learn in conventional schooling more than anything else is to be prepared to, you know, sit down at a desk that you're not supposed to leave and take orders from someone else uh, about completing tasks that you do not choose and are not on your timeline. And that is the definition of school that I use and more or less the definition of the working world, I think. Yeah. Yeah. There's one other thing that I wanted to bring up before we move on. So I do sometimes teach my students this concept um, from the pedagogy of the oppressed by Paolo Freire. And I, I, yes. I have no idea. The how banking to model that. of education. Yes. The, the banking model of education. And I do think that's, you know, that this is less about the, oppressive structure of the classroom, although it is that as well, but it's the idea that the point of school is to fill students with knowledge in the form of lecturing at them and then take that knowledge back up from them in an exam. And then like, like a bank, you deposit money and then you take it out and that's, yep. and that's it. And the way students do well is they fill up with knowledge and spit it out again. And that again, seems to me yeah. a pretty, pretty good description of how school works. Yeah, there's little to no room for dialogue, for critical thought, uh, for challenging hegemonic beliefs and structures and systems. Um, a lot of the most useful subjects that a child would need in developing into an adult, uh, such as emotional health or care work or effective communication or sex education, a lot of these vital skills are completely ignored because the purpose of the education system is not necessarily to prepare fully-fledged adults is to prepare workers, is to prepare meek, obedient servants, automatons. And the entire way that we approach education, this banking model, just feeds into this 
creation of cogs in a machine that we do not fully understand. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. And so I teach at the University of North Carolina, which is a fairly uh, elite university, but my students definitely want to be and are most comfortable with this automaton model. I'm, I'm teaching a class on, on games right now, and we're reading all these different theories of games, like from David Graeber is one of them. And one of the assignments I gave to the students was an essay that just said, why don't you come up with your own theory of games? And like the day after I got immediately got an email where someone said, can you tell me, you know, how I do this? What counts as a successful essay? Can you share a rubric? Can you uh, give me the steps to do this? And it's just for them to describe what they think games are and how games work, but they want it in that, that banking model, even though I'm asking them to share their own opinion. And that just strikes me as the uh, emblematic of the schooling they get from the beginning. Yeah. Like the, the fact that they have to draw from their own individual experiences and interests and circumstances and history in order to, you know, produce a response. It's not something that they're used to, you know, they're used to, oh, I have to memorize this or, oh, I have to follow this rubric in order to pass. And I've seen it in my own, um, in my own educational experience when I was in college, um, just seeing people utterly flounder without a fully laid out instruction manual of what they need to do for, for an assignment. And I think college is an especially interesting circumstance because college does diverge in some ways, not all, uh, but in some ways from the education systems of, you know, primary and secondary school. In those systems, there's a lot less freedom than in college. I think in college, there's a bit more of an expectation that you can handle things on your own. You can figure things out in some way, somewhat. I mean, there are, of course, like I said, the rubrics and the assignment guidelines <laughs> and that kind of thing. But I do find that there is more room for what do you as an individual bring to the table, especially in these settings that are a bit more, like you said, you know, like elite school environments. Like they, they're trying to produce a certain caliber of person. Uh, if you're at a elite university, they're most likely not training the cog in the machine. Or if they are, it's, I guess, a more important cog in the machine. But a lot of these elite universities are trying to train the quote-unquote leaders of the next generation. So there is that aspect of drawing some level of creativity from them. Yeah. In my, in my career, and it's been almost exclusively at elite institutions I've been teaching at, uh, high school and uh, universities, I've been surprised by how often it seems like the banking model is deployed, even though that doesn't even seem to really fit the, the kind of hierarchical capitalist model, as you say, like, I, I really should be training. <laughs> I should be training the bosses, I should be training the managers, and they should be trained to act freely and take risks and make, make choices according to like a capitalist doctrine where you have a, a leader and a bunch of followers. But I think the system is so it's so used to this rubric based model that we even even the even the Silicon Valley leaders of tomorrow are taught in this somewhat um robotic manner 
Yeah, I mean, that just goes to show that this system is bigger than any one of us. It's bigger than even its leaders, even those at the helm of it. Yeah, absolutely. And they can't, they, they, they themselves are not even aware of their lack of choice within it. They are so, at the top of it, but they don't stand above it. You know, they're not outside of it. Yeah. They are still a yeah. part of it. That's a, that's a great way of putting it. And, you know, you meet these people who, I mean, I occasionally meet parents who clearly would have no time in their own life for this kind of, uh, of, of work. And yet they expect their kids to, to, to go through it. I'm not sure why, maybe it's a learning experience. Um, I, I think we've talked enough about this topic, if that's okay with you and we can move on to homeschooling, unless you, there's anything else you would like to sort of sum up or add to this kind of authoritarian banking model of education. Yes. And I think it's actually a fitting segue, which is that, you know, we have, within us, each of us, as potential, especially as young people, to learn, to grow, to develop, and to direct our own lives. The banking model is not structured in that way. And um, although imperfect, when done right, while not enough, and you know, throwing on all of these qualifying statements, homeschooling is capable of bringing out these abilities, of bringing out the uniqueness of the person. And so I think that's what draws a, a lot of people to this idea of homeschooling, the ideal, rather, of homeschooling. As I'm sure we're going to discuss, homeschooling does not always live up to that ideal, but there are those who want better for their children and their children's education who have taken the path of homeschooling and have attempted to pioneer and develop what we should have been doing all along which is an actual education system rather than indoctrination system. Yeah, there's uh, there's tons here. First, I I love to quote um, this uh, American left-wing kind of, I would describe him as an anarchist writer named Randolph Bourne, who says, you know, mm. when looking at school, he says, you can call it schooling, but you cannot call it education. That's, that's the first point I would like to make is, if education is, I sometimes teach my students the German word Bildung, which is kind of like, like formation. So, and, and if Bildung is supposed to be like a self process, a process of self formation, mm. or even just a process of formation into a person, then school is really poorly equipped to do it. The banking model, which focuses entirely on predetermined sets of knowledge you're supposed to have, it cannot help you become a person. And I think homeschooling really can. Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about when we're talking about homeschooling um, for people who maybe have no experience in it. What do we what do we mean by homeschooling? Yeah, so to me, and this is a distinction I make between homeschooling and schooling from home. Schooling from home is something that we saw during the pandemic, right? During lockdown, people had to like you know log yeah. into their Zoom and take part in the school system, except through their computer or tablet or whatever device. <laughs> um, it's just, it's the same as working from home. It's you, you take the institution and you just import it into your home environment. Homeschooling, on the other hand, I think what distinguishes it from schooling from home is that for one, it's usually conducted by a parent or parents, which immediately distinguishes it from um, schooling from home, which is conducted by teachers. Although there are, cases of homeschooling where 
tutors or online teachers or other adults may get involved in the education process. Homeschooling is also, it's more so customized for the individual students involved in that home education. In schooling from home, you're still with that same standard curriculum, uh, that same standard structure. But homeschooling, especially when you get into the more of the de-schooling and unschooling realms, it's very much cultivating a very unique and individualized educational experience meant to meet the needs, passions, interests, strengths, weaknesses of that one student or how many other children you have. I can't stress this enough. Homeschooling and I, I was I was homeschooled, although primarily for religious reasons, for a few years in the elementary school years, it really can capture um, what the the student, the child is interested in. And the child has the possibility, as well as the, the teacher, usually the parent, as you say, to direct what they are learning and, and to learn about what they are interested in. And that, yeah. that difference itself is huge. Yes. Yes, it is. You're not in an environment where you are one among like 40 children in a classroom. That one-on-one -on -one setting immediately distinguishes your experience of education from that of public or private mass schooling. Yeah, there's, there is also, though... I, when, when I was homeschooled, we did have, I, I think once a week, I think it was on Friday. I'm not exactly sure. It's been a long time since I was homeschooled. Uh, you know, meetups where the different parents, I think it was all mothers. I think it was all moms in my homeschooling group. And it was my mom who homeschooled me. Different moms prepared yeah. lessons. And we got to go to other people's houses and socialize and had a community. But it still was nothing like the industrial standards of a traditional education system. Yes, yes. That that was my experience as well. Uh, usually as moms, yeah. For me, it was a Friday that we would have homeschool group. We'd go, although on, on the Fridays, it wasn't so much like a, a structured lesson, or rather the lessons were different. So how it worked for me was for, for our homeschool group was we would get together and for the first morning, like for the morning period, we would literally just as the children would just be mingling playing games, doing whatever, um, in different folks' houses. And, and the mothers, meanwhile, are having like a kind of like a Bible study, like mm. group counseling kind of session. Because, you know, the stresses of being a homeschooling mother, <laughs> you know, it, it, it warrants <laughs> that kind of uh, group support. And then we would have lunch. And then after lunch, we would have in the afternoon period, some kind of either a uh, crafting class or a cooking class so we would learn to prepare a meal and that kind of thing and, if, and then at the end we would have like clean up we clean up the person's space and then we pack up and we leave to head home yeah i will i will never forget it one of these friday sessions um a mom who had prepared a lesson on whole grains and had a a a hand cranked um wheat grinder mill i guess hand mill and i um i ground whole grains into a flour and then we baked cookies with it and i've become such a strong advocate for whole grains i, I don't have a a home grinder maybe i should get one <laughs> and that 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 moment has stuck with me and yet it sort of 
it lay dormant for 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 decades because there wasn't a way to follow it it up but there's nothing from my conventional education that i remember as clearly as as grinding those wheat berries and making flour and the taste of the the whole wheat chocolate chip cookie that we made from mm. that wheat flour has been with me forever yeah yeah a lot of my core memories have definitely been uh not so much, actually, for in my case, during the more structured lessons with the cooking or the crafting, but more so when we had that free time to just be mm-hmm. children and to just play and make up games or, you know, build stuff with Lego or whatever it was that we decided to do that day. Um, just that freedom as a child to not, you know, what in the meantime, you know, like my peers who were in traditional schooling are, you know, they're, they're stressing over a test or, <laughs> you know, they're going from lesson to lesson uh, in on a sitting on a desk, the same desk for hours and hours on end working. I was playing, which is what, you know, children are supposed to do. <laughs> and in that play, I, I learned a lot about myself, about others, about how to interact, about how to solve problems, about how to just be and how to occupy myself and how to navigate life in a less structured context. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I also, I mean, the the other angle for me looking back is I wish I had had, in addition to all of the play and of course, you know, the time spent, you know, learning math or whatever for from a worksheet, I wish there had been more opportunities for me to, you know, to, to, to work, to, to do things like, like baking, um, or, or gardening. I mean, there was some of that, but these, these life skills that are so vital and of course can become a profession. You can become a professional baker. Um, you can cook professionally, you can repair things professionally, this sort of like artisanal angle, which almost doesn't exist in conventional schooling. I would love to have had more opportunities to do that in my homeschool experience. And I understand that some people do really really emphasize that. And I, I just think as a kid, I had a lot of energy to expend in play. And I also had a lot of energy that I would have liked to have expend on, on craft or, or technique that I didn't want to expend learning arithmetic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still appreciating that experience. Even now as an adult, when we started homeschooling, we really were pretty much doing the school from home sort of method. We just brought the local education system into the home context. It's only over time that we started to uh, develop a more um, flexible form of schooling. And I will say, and even in a flexible form of schooling, we still had certain workbooks, certain structured lessons. Like we still had to do language arts and we still had to do math, no matter what. And I will say that I remember those more organic and flexible experiences far more than I do the times when I had to sit down and work in a workbook. Yeah, this is, so this is my old training in American pragmatism. One thing I'm unable to convince the people who are skeptics of homeschooling is that education has no use. It's pointless. It doesn't do anything unless afterwards the student is, is changed unless the child can do something or knows something afterwards. And the tragedy of the banking model of education is after the child has taken the test, uh, it's it's over. 
Um, and so that system actually, in a certain way, destroys itself. It doesn't. It doesn't produce anything. Students don't have to learn. Of course, some learning goes on in traditional education, but it almost goes on. It almost happens uh, against the model. And I don't think. I mean, and 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 homeschooling is exactly opposite despite the language arts workbooks that you still have to do, it's entirely there for something for the child to have and use and do moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, being homeschooled in the digital age, I mean, I I still remember the, the, the first time like Facebook really came onto the scene in any major way um, and that kind of thing. So I was kind of at that precipice, but seeing... But by the, by the time I was a teenager, technology was definitely established and um, having access to that technology to uh, explore my interests, to, you know, look up online courses. I have like a folder full of unfinished stories that I wrote. I mean, I was always writing stories, even when I was just, you know, pencil and book. Um, but when I had a computer, I would sit down and I would try and write stories and I would spend time researching writing techniques and writing courses and all these different things. I never finished any of those stories, but having that freedom and free time to just practice and hone and develop and work on my skills from all these different angles freely, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I had 45 minutes dedicated to this subject and then I had to move on to the next subject and then on to the next subject and then to the next subject. Once I got my basics out of the way, once I had my math and language arts out of the way and whatever other established, like we used to have um, Bible study at the beginning of, of school and that kind of thing. Um, but once I got those fundamentals out of the way, I developed not only a better sense of myself, my interests, my self-confidence, all these different things. I also developed the ability to self-manage, mm. which I think is one of the most crucial aspects of the homeschooling experience. Of course, there are homeschoolers who are just as regimented and structured as those in the schooling system, <laughs> right? But just as dominated by, by their parents instead of, instead of by teachers. But my experience, because I developed that sense of self-management, my ability to self-manage was just expanded even further. So I got the essentials out of the way, and then how I went about the rest of the day was entirely up to me. We had a, a reading-based um, curriculum earlier on. Uh, I don't know if you know it. It's called Sunlight. Um, mm -mm. Yeah, but it's like a reading-based. A lot of it is you're learning through reading books. And uh, my family is very much like bookworms. So that was really <laughs> like we used to have different nooks around the house and we'd go outside whenever we just like read and read and read. And sometimes it'd be nonfiction books and sometimes it'd be fiction books. And sometimes we would read a book ahead of where we were supposed to for that day because we just liked what we were reading. <laughs> um, some of the fiction books were like, for example, we, we would read like, it would be two components. So it'd be like nonfiction and fiction for a particular subject. So you would read like the nonfiction stuff to get all the facts and in the fiction you would read to get a sense of that world. So I was able to put myself in the shoes of like, an Egyptian, an ancient Egyptian, like, what was it? He made like goblets. He's some kind of like copper worker or something like that. And he, his story, his life story, I put myself in those shoes and I experienced that world. And that gave me a passion and an interest in history that I still appreciate to this day. That is how I became, people ask me sometimes, like, how are you, you know, reading and learning about all these different things? Why, why do you have such a 
variety of interests? How do you know so much about so many different things? And honestly, I really don't feel like I do because I just know how much there is to <laughs> learn still. Um, I feel behind in that respect. But at the same time, I think part of it is that I chose, I had, I had the freedom to choose how I engage with these subjects. And so I found a way to engage with those subjects in a way that entertained and, interests and interested me. And so that lit a passion in me for those subjects that I would not have had if I had been introduced to, for example, history in the way that it is typically taught in the education system. And I would not have right. developed my skill, for example, writing that I now employ myself with today, if not for those countless hours, probably cumulatively days or weeks or months of free time that I just worked on exploring that craft. And of course, some of that time was spent procrastinating. I mean, I was a child slash teenager <laughs> with access to the internet. So I'd go and watch YouTube, I'd go and play games. Would... There was procrastinating in the mix, but there was also, you develop a sense of discipline as well. And that helped me to pursue my craft. And that is why even when I had the option, uh, this is when I was making the shift from primary to secondary school. Um, when I had the option to go into school, into secondary education, I chose not to because I... At that point, I'd already developed a sense of what my trajectory was, what my timeline was, and I would much rather continue along that timeline than go back into the system. Looking back, I would never change that decision that I made. In some ways, I do wonder what my life would have been like if I had gone into secondary education, if I had been immersed in that environment and had that sort of built-in, for example, social group right? How that might have affected my trajectory. But in some ways, not having that built-in social trajectory has also forced me to develop my social skills in a way that I can reach out to people and pursue relationships and maintain those relationships in a way that is not reliant on seeing that person every day in the same classroom. And I mean, there are drawbacks and we could talk about the drawbacks and stuff as we continue the conversation. But I know I've been talking for a bit, so... Uh, well, I don't, I, I don't want to stop you except to, except to agree with you. I mean, I, I went in for, you know, middle and high school to, you know, conventional education and I was, I was miserable and it was in college where I felt more like, I mean, yeah, there were classes that I had to sit in and sometimes I was bored, but I did get to pursue my own interests exactly like you. All of my skills, I feel like in reading and writing, the, the the skills that have made my career, I developed homeschooling and I developed them mostly for myself because I wanted to. And when yeah. I entered conventional education in, in fourth grade, um, maybe third grade, I did get in trouble for reading a book that we were reading as a class and I read ahead. And instead mm. of that being, you know, an exciting moment of exploration, it was, you know, it was a, a thought crime. And actually, I think I told that story <laughs> in my very first episode of this podcast of that, like emblematic of the education system, reading a book you want yeah. to read as a child is bad in the education <laughs> system that we have. <laughs> that actually reminds me of something my mom always used to say, which was that one of the problems with the education system, the conventional education system, and she's by no means an anarchist, right? But <laughs> her position was really that... <laughs> You know, if you have a child and that child is, for example, excelling at math and 
fallen behind, quote unquote, excelled and quote unquote, fallen behind in language. That child is in the same classroom as everybody else, in the same lessons as everybody else. That child could be soaring in the field mm. of math and may need a little bit more focused attention in the field of language. But because we have this grade system, the child is bored during math because they're finishing everything super quickly and have to wait for the people who are not doing as well at math. And then at language, they feel like everybody's ahead of them because they're not getting it the way everybody else is and they're feeling left behind. They fall behind, they fall into the cracks. That's why you also end up with a lot of people who literally graduate illiterate, right? Yeah. Um, because of that falling through the cracks, because of that great system that pushes everybody in the same group and f to follow the same path that is just not conducive to education. Yeah, I'm very, I, I frequently argue and, you know, I like Graver's phrase, managerial capitalism, sorry, managerial feudalism, that we are not living in capitalism or neoliberalism. If those means like, the maximization of all resources, including human resources. If if people truly cared about maximizing every human resource, our our schools would be so much more efficient than than they are. And I mean, I don't want to put it in terms of efficiency and human resources and human capital and all that nonsense. But if they actually believed in that shit, schools wouldn't look like how they are. We're, we're not living under capitalism. We're living under something st stupider and that. <laughs> prioritizes di different things, prioritizes authority, hierarchy, tradition over something like efficiency or, or, or profit motive, or rather if the right Agreed. people are making the profits. They don't I mean, care. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's an observation I frequently made about capitalism, <laughs> that there are very clear solutions, to certain issues, but if that solution gets in the way of the hierarchical structure yeah. of the system, it can't be tolerated. You had to know your place, basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I also want to, you know, um, I really enjoyed your video uh, about work. I think it was, you know, under the, the title anti-work, maybe. I, I keep meaning to and will someday, The meaning of anti-work. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. I hope eventually to write uh, some some essays in my newsletter uh, about this, but, you know, I can't stress how important the concept of hard work is to, to me, you know, reading, reading is hard work. Writing is, is, is hard work in that sense. Um, when people say that they're against work, we're actually students will work much harder in that sense, in the sense of, uh, applying themselves diligently to a task in in homeschooling, it's it's forced labor that the laborer feels like is pointless. That's yeah. so damaging, and and school is an example of forced labor and is simply not very productive for that reason. Yeah, and on the topic of work, if I may share one of the most depressing periods of my life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> prior to prior to YouTube. Um, I had a, a contract at one of those paper pushing sort of companies, insurance. Mm -hmm. um, I was like an underwriting assistant or something like that. Yeah. And my entire job for those three months, um, and, and before that job, I had a, a job that I stayed at for exactly four days. Um, that <laughs> one was worse in some ways. Uh, I was at a 
it was like kind of like a service service work but the job didn't actually have a title nor a description it was kind of like what if i ask you to do you do it so i was mm-hmm. somehow balancing the books and being a cashier and handling like the the stock of the of the store and like taking out the trash and sorting the recycling and cleaning the store all these different things packaged into one under minimum wage pay job no contract anyway that's why i left in four days um this this job i had in, in this insurance company my whole responsibility they had a backlog of documents um like boxes and boxes of documents. They wanted them sorted, scanned, uh, uploaded. And usually I was able to complete that task or at least a a reasonable quota of that task before I got completely burnt out before lunch, you know, (laughs) Uh, they'd actually made an allowance for me uh, because I was still in school at the time um, to leave because monday afternoon was the only day i had where i had a class like all my other classes in the evening so i had my one afternoon class and so they let me leave uh, after lunch to go to that class and they took a cut that they cut my pay for the half day um despite the fact that every day regardless of whether it was monday or any other day of the <laughs> week i would complete my work before lunch anyway uh, but you know you have one you have to look busy Two, they have an issue with, you know, you wearing headphones. Um, yeah. And so you're there, you're just scanning. So the printer stops working and they can't get the uh, technician to come and like fix it. So for the whole day, instead of being able to leave and go home because you can't do your job, you're just supposed to sit there and, and wait and occupy the time. I just, Andrew, it's... I'm sorry, I have to break in. I uh, My <laughs> senior year of college, I had a job that was mostly photocopying and scanning and they wouldn't let us wear headphones. And it's like, there's no one, there's no one yeah. here in this room with me. It was a windowless room, but the boss it's, would come and check to make sure I wasn't wearing headphones. It's ridiculous. And I mean, now we have the, um, the stealth of, you know, having that one like mini Bluetooth headphone <laughs> in your ear on one side, the side that's on facing the boss or whatever. And at a certain point, I just, I didn't care, you know, because I was getting my work done. My work was not saving the lives of orphaned kittens. It wasn't delivering necessary medicine to a nursing home, all right? My job was scanning people and uploading it. And it wasn't even documents that were crucial. They had the documents already. They just wanted to to migrate it over onto their new, well, their old, system and the whole reason they had to hire us in the first place is because their original employees were not they would just let the the documents accumulate and they weren't uploading it (laughs) so they had they had to create a whole job title just to get people to do this backlog right um and yet despite the utter inessentiality i don't know if that's a word inessentiality of 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 the work (laughs) they still had these prescriptions and expectations you know um they still want you in the office to start work at eight and leave at four (laughs) so that means for me at least that meant 
that I had to commute there to commute there I had to travel um we have like a whole like system here it's not it's like almost like private buses and private taxis without like fully regulated its whole thing um but that meant that I would have to get up because of the traffic situation I would have to get up either I got up at a reasonable hour and left prior to, uh, way before work and still end up being late because of the amount of traffic or I get up really early, I leave really early, and I end up at work really early. <laughs> Some cases, I ended up having to open <laughs> the office <laughs> um, and then just occupy myself until it's time to start work. At one point during that work experience, I was sick for a whole month because I did not get enough rest mm. to let my body fully recover. A regular old cold, I was sick for a full month because... I was just a contract employee. They didn't have sick leave or anything like that for me. Um, and so it just, it just struck me as so, and so in that, in that time when I was working, I really got a lot more into uh, political theory and stuff. I shamelessly listened to the audiobook for the communist manifesto and for the conquest of bread, uh, right there at my desk. And, um, yeah, I, I, I worked in side projects. I worked on school assignments. I worked in whatever, at my desk i've of course like a typical workplace they had certain locks in place for like social media or youtube or a lot of different things i found my ways around them in some cases i downloaded stuff at home and brought it to work so i could listen to it or watch it while i was there and so i basically kind of like channeled that freedom that i had in my homeschooling experience to work around these restrictions. But the point was, none of these restrictions need to be in place. If they had a quota-based system, for example, I understand, you know, uh, a workplace might have to deal with a backlog of stuff and they might have like a temporary job title or whatever. The job shouldn't be, oh, this is a traditional structure, eight to four, so whatever. They should have like a basic quota. You meet this, whatever time you meet this, you could leave. Whatever time you get in, whatever time you leave, as long as you get this done for the day. But again, it's not about logic, it's not about efficiency, it's not about actually executing the task, it's about control and domination. And yeah, we're getting a bit off off the track of homeschooling and schooling, but it is connected, you know? No, I, I, don't, I don't think we're off the track at all. I mean, it's precisely if you say like every, every child who is eight years old has to spend uh, 60 minutes every day doing this one task, regardless of whether they're learning and regardless of whether they're interested, that's the same thing. It's every employee has to be in this office not wearing headphones from 8 to 4 p.m., regardless of whether what they're doing is is useful. It's not about efficiency. doesn't matter if your job is a sales rep. doesn't matter if you're like, whatever, whatever. It doesn't matter. You just need to be, you know, your butt needs to be at the desk from 8 to 4. Yeah, that it, it's a, I mean, I say this over and over again. It is a factory model. This way of organizing human beings, at least with this level of like chronological, like time-based rigidity. I mean, there have been, there have been systems that David Graeber writes about this, right? Like you can go back to Sumer and you can find horrible authoritarian regimented systems, but this model of clock in at this hour, everyone clocks in at the same time, everyone's in a regimented workstation and does this. It's, it's from the 19th century. It's a factory. Yeah invention and people have bloody victorians yes they've been working and learning for as long as there have been people so god how did we get stuck with this one i mean we could thank the victorians and we could thank the prussians right the prussian model of education Um, yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's the, it's the Prussian model is the Prussian model of education. And, you know, there's, there's, I'm not as up on this as I should be, but there's people who are writing that both the, the, the merchant ships of the 17th century and the plantations of the 17th century were actually the first version of this and the factory. Uh, yes. Which seems this, this. Yeah. yeah. The factory seems like it's a new way of organizing, but actually it was invented in the in the colonial period, but it just wasn't made visible in the in the same way. And it's taken historical work to make it visible to us. That feels right to me, but I'm not an expert on this topic, certainly. So we're 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 heading towards the end. I mean, the one one thing that popped into my head as you were talking is another analog with anarchism. So I guess I'll have a I'll have a final word and then I'll give you the final final word. I, I can imagine all of these objections to homeschooling, you know, um, besides the practical ones of who has the time and can we afford it and everything. And those objections are not interesting if we just organize our society a, a, a different way. But otherwise, it's like, well, are the kids actually going to be learning? And how do you know the parents are experts? And how will the students stay on task and, and all this stuff? And what I would say is the same way that people say like, oh, would anarchism work in society? Wouldn't there be wouldn't there be crime and and inequality and and violence if we had an anarchistic society? And it's like, well, sure, all those things would still exist in an anarchistic society, but they exist right now. And it seems to me that all of the challenges to homeschooling, it's like, well, how do we know the kids are really learning and will they stay on task? You think the kids are on task right now? Like, I, I, I think people are just comfortable with the world as it exists because it, it exists. And they yeah, are familiar. Are, yeah. They're not it's able familiar. to imagine. They can't see all the downsides of the world that we have right now. And I think that applies to how we've structured work and society. And I think that really applies to how we've structured school and just talking through our experiences and how it worked for us and uh, imagining this other world. I think just, I just hope some people listen to it and, and think differently. So that was, that's what I was thinking when you were talking. That was an analog that I hadn't drawn before, but uh, now's <laughs> now's your chance to add anything you you want to add, Andrew. Um, I I will say I do get the the critique about, for example, the quality of education that you might receive from the parents, especially when you you know you have this um, religious context in certain cases where. You know, the child is brought up in a very specific point of view and taught very specific things about certain other points of view. Um, I get all that. Um, and that is where I think homeschooling may be a temporary solution in certain cases under the current system. But I don't think our radical goal is homeschooling <laughs> under capitalism. <laughs> I think our radical goal is... Uh, far more expansive and integrated and community-oriented approach to education that facilitates that sort of free-form approach to knowledge building that we find in the individual setting of homeschooling, but expanded towards broader society. The goal isn't a bunch of, like, <laughs> stay-at-home moms teaching their children <laughs> in the individual houses in our society. The goal is every member of the community directly or indirectly being involved in how children are raised 
and how children develop and what they learn and what they decide they want to pursue and who can facilitate them and help them and guide them and what they want to pursue. Um, and having a basic level of trust in children, trust that they will learn, trust that they are naturally curious and inquisitive and will seek out the things that they, that, that they seek, that they'd like to learn. And even when there are things that they may not want to learn initially, like not every child is as passionate about reading from early as other children are. Or, um, but in those cases, when it comes to those essentials of like reading or, you know, the basic rudiments of math, you just have to think of a different way of approaching that subject that will suit the child's interest. Because we have this standard model that doesn't allow us to do that, the individual homeschooling model allows us to do that. But if we want to evolve beyond it, we'll have to find a way to integrate a variety of approaches so that no child is left behind and not <laughs> in the Reagan context. <laughs> I really appreciate you putting it that way. Uh, it's it's the idea is not that everyone should have a, a religious stay at home mom who who homeschools them, but the the core idea of of homeschooling that the child can can figure things out for themselves, can guide themselves while being guided by an adult who who cares about them and wants to help them, as opposed to an adult who is a a, a bureaucratic functionary. And that this, just as the school serves as a model for an authoritarian, rigid, somewhat capitalist society, that idea, that core idea of homeschooling can serve as the model for uh, a radical, uh, open society, which would look so so different and would make schooling so different, but would contain some of the key things that we see right now in in homeschooling under capitalism, but also education itself would be so so transformed that so many of the other ways that homeschooling works right now would would go away. Yeah, that's I sort of worked through that, so that was a little clumsy, but um, I I really like that idea a lot. Thank you, Andrew. I'm I'm glad I was able to to bring someone to the discussion. Well, this was um this was wonderful. I guess I I, really I guess was. we're done unless there's anything else you would like to like to say. I think for me, what I would like to say is that education has an essential role in building and transforming a free society. The only way we get out of this system is through education, through a shift in our consciousness, through a shift in our drives, through a shift in our abilities. Our abilities, our drives, and our consciousness were shaped by the education system and by the other systems and structures of society, but that was one of the primary ones. And the only way we break out of this system is by breaking out of that education system and breaking free of those restrictions and our abilities, our drives, and our consciousness that were placed on us from an early age. It is not too late, and my sincerest wish is that we can recognize the vitality of that emancipation of education in our broader struggle, and that we use that uh, to propel ourselves forward. Wonderful. That's wonderful, Andrew. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed this conversation. 
Likewise. Can't wait to hear how it turns out. All right. All right. I will let you know. 